0: I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing? What's up, JR? Good, good. How are you, man? Good, man. I'm fired up. we got an unbelievable guest today. Actually, uh, you know, pre, pre-shift group uh, little story and, and one of the guys that kind of set the tone for the business. So um, today we've got Colin McDonald. Colin has been on the sales team at Recorded Future for a year and a half. Spent 13 years playing pro hockey. 148 NHL games, tons of games in the American League. Um, what, Willie Marshall Award winner, most regular season goals in the AHL in 2010. Um, and, and he's a former Providence College friar. So we got a fellow Jesuit with us, Sean. Um, and a New England guy. New England guy. That's right. That's right. The famous Coyotes, of the, the old EJ, man, the, the old wagon um e j h l offensive player of the year award in league mVP honors i think you did it exactly exactly six years before my brother bob got the same uh the same award um and he comes from a long line of hockey players his old man played for the will colin thank you so much for joining us today buddy
1: yeah no it's been great that uh we were talking off there uh, previously how you and I were kind of able to reconnect ever since my change in career so Um, you know, I feel like we've, we've officially come full circle now that, uh, we're on this podcast today. hundred percent,
0: man. hundred percent. So, um, EJ to Providence, what are like, grow like that, that new England hockey, some of those memories, what are, what are some of the, the best memories you have from, from those days, those, those EJ and Providence days?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, to get into it, you know, you grow up just, um, playing for the love of the game. You're not really thinking about turning into a, a a career. Um my hockey career really started to kind of pick up speed um when I was with the coyotes and I think my name was kind of on the radar of, of not only um colleges but uh of, of NHL teams. So that's when I really kinda of kicked it in the high gear and, you know, thought, all right, I, I can maybe make a career out of this. Um was fortunate that I uh, uh, I don't want to say I, I had my pick of schools, but I had a, a lot of schools interested and just so much fun kind of being able to go down that interview process, that recruiting process of those, um, all the schools I grew up watching. And um, yeah, I mean, Providence just seemed to check off all the boxes for me uh, close to home, of course, uh small school, which I enjoyed that vibe. Uh, I believed in what they were doing there. It, it wasn't the premier program that it is now, but I'd like to, you know, at least I'm just, tell myself this, I, I hope I was a small piece of that puzzle to where they are now. And, um, you know, obviously get that playing time there as a 18 year old freshman really helped kind of transition me to to pro.
0: I have to imagine that the official visits, uh, back then included a trip to prime time. Is that a, is that a fair, <laughs> uh, fair assessment or what?
1: Is this where we take the recording off? Is that how this works? <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny. Cause at the time, uh, 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 Province was a three to one girly guy ratio and um, you know I was so focused on hockey I, I really wasn't I really wasn't worried about that of course I'm with my mom and dad there and it was just funny because we laugh about it now but my my assistant coach David Brard he uh, kept saying um, hey you know, you know just so you know it's three to one girly guy ratio here my mom's like what what is going on you know and I'm just kind of like you know I think I was, whatever, 16, 17 at the time. i like, yeah, like, where, where do I sign, you know? It's uh, pretty, pretty pretty funny story we can laugh about now, but at the time, my mom didn't get the best mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he couldn't use that when he was coaching at Holy Cross, unfortunately. <laughs> no, oh no,
1: of course
2: not. Oh, that's unreal. Um, So, Colin, I got a question. Were you thinking anything about school and, and what you were going to study, or were you just pure hockey when you were?
1: Nice. Um, I was pure hockey but I will say this um neither of my parents have college degrees so it was very important to them that I not only went to school but that I finished school so um you know my mom never really had opportunities to work be- because of that lack of a degree uh my dad did go to school but never finished so that was really important to him that I finished um I'm the uh, uh first born in the family so you know, as you can understand, kind of using me as a precedent for a younger brother, younger sister. Um, So no, I wasn't focused on school, but uh, as far as like going major junior, um, you know, I don't know what Bobby's options were, but uh, it was never really an option for me. I I was focused solely on going to school.
0: Yeah, we we definitely share that in our background. Um, Another thing we share is like, and you see it a lot, like I coach youth hockey now, and, and there's not as many parents that are hockey people. Right. So it's, it's interesting, but obviously you had a, you had a, your father played professionally and then I think it offers a unique experience as a hockey, like, you know, people think a hockey parents is crazy, but I think for me, having my father as a hockey guy, you know, there wasn't like any calls to the coaches. If I wasn't playing, you know, there wasn't like, you know, what did, you know, what did you do coach? It was always my fault. Right. Like, what what kind of uh what kind of hockey dad was your dad coming out of, you know,
1: playing for the Wheel? I mean, as you know, when you're growing up, you're so naive to that like he was just my dad. I mean, looking back, I thought he handled it so well. So, he was not that overbearing parent. Um hockey was strictly a winter sport for me. So, um I did soccer in the fall, I did baseball spring and summer. Of course, as I got older and and got um, you know, I was progressing ahead of other players. I needed to kind of really hone in on hockey. But growing up, you know, hockey was just a winter sport for me. Um, of course, he coached me growing up. You know, he was definitely tough on me at times. But I think he saw at an early age that there was some potential there that I, of course, didn't recognize. So he just wanted to make sure I made the most of that. But I, I, I remember vividly, he got to a point where he was like he's like, Colin's like, you got you to gotta be with different coaches. And he stopped coaching me. And, um, I thought that that was looking back It's such a smart decision. He could have easily coached me all throughout youth hockey, but I needed another voice. I needed some other coaching. I needed to learn that dynamic. Um, so he kind of, you know, cut ties, so to speak, and let me kind of figure it out on my own with him kind of being in the background. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. I think that that's the hockey in him for sure. JR and I talked a little bit about this offline, but just the fact that back then I played football in college, but I played everything growing up. And now it's like a lot more focused. So it's interesting to hear that you were the same way. You weren't just hockey, hockey.
1: Yeah, now that I have young kids and I already think about how I want to handle that, and that's something that I'm still going to instill. And I do think uh, not just hockey, but sports in general, is becoming a full-time sport at too young of an age and that is not going to be my mindset i want my kids playing every sport hopefully it works out the way that it did for myself for bobby where you get to a certain age and at that point it's the right decision to focus strictly on whether it's hockey or whatever but um you know i'm gonna handle it just as my my dad had handled it
0: yeah i think like 16 17 you can start thinking about specialization if you got a you know a special talent but you know, we were, we, we were three, three sport athletes our entire lives. And, and even as of my dad being a, like a hockey guy, that was like critical, right? You got, you had to play, you had to put the skates away for a little bit and they definitely don't do that anymore. Um, so college hockey, PC, tell me a little bit, like, I'm always curious to hear, like, how, how'd you change your approach to the game going from college hockey to the pro level Colin? Like, what were some of the things that were different?
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, hindsight's 2020. 20, right. But I think my biggest adjustment was going from juniors and college as like a points guy. Um, but being drafted as like penciled in as a power forward, it took me a long time when I got the pro hockey to really figure out the game I needed to play to make it. So, um, I mean, I was a full six years, I think it was in the minors before I really made it. Um, and it just, I didn't understand like what it really took, what it meant to be a power four You know, like I was, you know, when you were rallying off some of those stats that I even forget about. You know, I was I was a points guy. That's all I cared about. You know, get me on the power play, coach. Get me on the five on three. You know, I'll, I'll back check when it's absolutely necessary. Um, and that just doesn't cut it in pro hockey. You can get away with it in college hockey, um, but yeah, it just took me a long time to really understand. You know, when you see a red line, that means you're dumping the puck in. That doesn't mean you're trying to, you know, get the puck in on your own. Um, you know, you're dumping it in pretty much every time uh, and, and starting up uh, kind of some offensive zone time that way. Um, it just took me a while to figure it out. So, uh, you know, I it, I wish I maybe made that connection earlier on, but, you know, what can you do at this point?
0: Yeah, f- finding that role, is it can be hard, but... It- you know, it comes with maturity too, I
1: think. Yeah, I think, um, I think I made it at 28 and, um, I can honestly say I was not ready, um, before then, you know, again, it took me a full six years of, of just trying to figure it out. And I think the light bulb went off for me was when I, when I led the American league in scoring and I still wasn't getting called up. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And, um, that's when a coach kind of pulled me aside, not within my organization. He's like, Mac, he's like, the only way you're going to make it is if you start playing as a power four, he's like, you're not good enough to be a top six guy. And that was like, all right. I was like, you know, here I was the leading scorer in the American League. I still wasn't getting a snip. So, um, you know, that's kind of when that light bulb went off. And unfortunately, fortunately, however you want to look at it, it just took, you know, to the, the, the right, uh, young age of 28 for me to make that leap.
2: <laughs> oh, and a lot, it's interesting you bring up that coach so a lot of uh our listeners and a lot of our themes on our podcast are about mentorship can you talk a little bit about in hockey specifically you kind know, of some of your mentors at whether it's college or pro
1: yeah i mean growing up uh playing out of the enfield connecticut the springfield area uh billy Guerin was always the guy that they talked about you know uh, i remember gary Danine, um which uh, junior I'm sure remembers from the Coyotes days, but he would always say, he'd look at me, he's like, Colin, he's like, Billy Guerin sat in that seat right there, you know, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. I'm like, you know, if that guy could do it, and I'm sitting where he sat, like, why couldn't I do it? Um, and then, sure enough, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, and I'm playing with the Penguins, and Billy G is the player development there, and talk about, like, uh, you know, coming full circle moment, and having him kind of help develop me, and you want to talk about power forwards, like, you arguably no better um you know you put billy g in the mix for those um, top american power forwards and billy g is right there so to have him kind of take me under his wing and take me out to dinner as well as playing in wilkes-barre then um you know i give him a lot of credit for for helping groom me
0: dude that's like the sickest mentor that we've ever heard so far <laughs> that's unbelievable one of my favorite quotes in the world is a billy Garen quote it's it's not that hard to
1: be a good guy. Yeah, and. um Exactly. It really isn't. But as you know, for some reason, just a lot of people don't get that. You know, I think they're so consumed with their selfish goals and desires that it just takes away from being a good guy. And uh, not that I ever had that issue. I just thought Billy was like, you know, if there's anyone that can have an ego, it would be Billy G. And he has, he's the most personable guy that you could ever meet with his athletes. And it's just such like a refreshing mentor to have near corner. Unreal.
0: Speaking of, speaking of good, good guys, any, any, uh, any favorite teammates? What, like, like I gotta, I gotta know like favorite teammate, what made them your
1: favorite? Um, So I'll say this and I'll, I'll you know, um uh, you know, maybe I'll say this because of the name and everyone knows him, but I, I was fortunate to live with them for three years, but uh, I lived with Tavares when well I was with the Islanders um, and to just, Here's a superstar um, that once I made the team, was living by himself, didn't really know me that well, invited me to live with them and i staying with them for my entire time there. Uh, and just to see a superstar like that go about um, his daily routine. And I obviously just didn't see it at the rink. I saw it at home. And I thought I went and approached the game the right way. And then Johnny just takes it up another level. Um, and just to, to, to live and breathe that um, was just a, an eye-opening experience and something that will always stick with me. And now that I'm older out of the game and I can hopefully get in a coaching position with my young kids, um, I'm always going to bring up that story because, uh, you know, that Tavares name is going a name that, you know, kids are going to remember for a long time. And I just had that unique experience of, um, you know, living with them and, uh, you know, part of his bachelor party and his wedding. Um our wives are great friends. It's just uh you know the the, the hockey fanboy in me, like I am proud to be able to tell this story.
2: It's a huge, huge name for me, right? I live in downtown Toronto. It's a huge name right
1: now. Yeah. So um it's just uh That's sick. You know, now that I'm out of the game and I can again that fanboy is still in me, I can kinda of talk about it like that. But it's just uh I'm just so happy with the way um you know, it all worked out for me there.
0: It, it makes you realize, like, special people do special things because because of the way their their daily habits, the way they approach things is just it's just different. You know what I mean? Um, That's awesome. How how would your teammates describe you, Mac?
1: Um, I mean, I, I think Tom and I talked about it. Um, and I remember when I was older in my career, and I, I took on more of a mentorship role um, you know, having the respect of my teammates, the coaches, and coaches, and they would always say like, Mac, like that, that guy just gets it. And, um, and I think it goes to that. I think you already alluded to JR about just like being a pro. I think those go hand in hand. I am proud of the way I went about things. I I'd like to think I always went about things the right way. Of course, I made mistakes throughout my career, but, um, I can honestly say I was never that selfish player in the locker room. I think there's a reason why I was in a leadership role for most of my career. Um, and that's something I take a lot of pride in. That's something I've tried to transition into my role now, even as a, a, a rookie all over again, so to speak. Um, you know, I'm able to kind of, you know, um, hang my hat on that even in, you know, the, the corporate world now. Um, and and still have those leadership you know, responsibilities and qualities even though I'm very much in a in a rookie position here.
2: That's a colin, that's the transition is a big thing for us and you I mean we like to like to say shift. It's a big shift for us. But uh shifting over to a BDR role, uh a lot of our athletes that we've worked with in the past and listeners they're they're in that mindset of whether it's hockey, track and field, lacrosse, they're trying to go professional or they're semi pro now. And they're trying to make that adjustment at a later stage versus coming right out of college and going into a a role at 21 or 22. Can you talk about about a little bit about the lifestyle change going from hockey into BDR?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a loaded question. You know, it's something I'm honestly still adjusting. Um, You know, setting the record as the oldest BDR in company history is probably not the record you want to set, but you know, here I am, you know, 35 years old, got two kids, um, you know, walking in, I got my, my fingernails painted by my daughter, uh, hanging out with, you know, like you said, 21 and 22 year old kids that are, um, uh, you know, still going out in South all weekend. It's just, uh, I remember walking in the first day and I'm like, Oh God, like, what was I thinking? You know, trying to try to think, you know, prove I can do this. Obviously I might be exaggerating a little bit, but um, I, I told Tom on my last call, you just really have to put your ego aside. And, um, you know, it's, I took a year off from, from playing to figure it out. I, I pursued coaching, I pursued scouting, management, all the roles within hockey. I pursued a bunch of different industries outside of hockey. And, um, the driving factor behind that was obviously, um, Maybe not obviously, but putting my family first. So I, I never really did that in hockey. It's very hard to do, as JR can allude to. Um, but I was like, you know what? I just want some stability for my family. I want to sleep in my own bed every night. The 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 other side of that is I want to challenge myself in something outside of hockey. You know, I was like, you know, I've got I've got one one crack at this. You know, so called life. I feel like I did a, a good job in, in chapter one in hockey. Let's let's turn the page. Let's meet new people. Let's learn new skills let's learn a new product and see what i can do and um you know to go down that path a little bit more being in sales it checks off so many of the of the boxes that i was able to check off in hockey you know no i'm not playing in front of 20,000 fans anymore but i still get that same competitive rush being in sales you know um having a quote on my head might stress out a lot of people it doesn't stress me out. Cause I did it for 13 years. If I had a bad year, guess what? I didn't get a contract. If I had a good year, guess what? It opened up doors. I brought in more money. So like having it carrying a quota is it's like just more of the same for me. Um, the, the hard part for me, is just understand the product, understanding how to sell, building those relationships. Um, but I just trust my qualities. I trust my characteristics, those things you can't necessarily coach. Um, and just once, I can get up the speed on the knowledge side of things. Here, um, I just know that I'm going to have success in this career as well. Has, has that been
0: the hardest part, Colin? Is is the like just getting the knowledge on? Obviously, you know, uh, recorded futures are fairly technical. Sell has that been kind of the 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 toughest part on the around the transition for you?
1: For sure, it's just closing that learning gap as quickly as I can. I mean. You know, even I remember first day, just like logging into my computer and trying to get on like, you know, Google Sheets and Gmail. I'm like, what like that's stuff I never did, you know, and um, you know, you did it a little bit in college, but I took 13 years off. So it's just like learning, you know, where those younger people, my colleagues were ahead of me, was they can step right in, like they know how to build presentations, they know Google Sheets, you know. That was stuff I still had to learn at the same, tri- same time trying to learn the product, learning how to sell. And I know everyone says it, but I was the definition of drinking from that fire hose. Um, you I, mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, six months in, I'd come home and still saying to my wife, Lexi, my Lexi, I'm like, I don't know. Like, why, why did I choose this again? Like, you know, she had to kind of pull the reins back on me and, you know, bring me back down to neutral. Um, but, um, uh, I know a little bit of a long-winded answer, JR, but for sure, it's just like, it's just learning what it is we do. And, um, cybersecurity is not an easy topic to understand, even if you've been in it for 10, 15, 20 years. And, you know, you, you put me in a situation. I'm like, God, what, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to figure it out. That's a good,
2: that's a super valuable answer. Colin. We could have let like, you talk on that all day. That's, uh, that's, I've never heard it put that way before. Um, But I had a question kind of one-off, like, did anyone advise you to go into sales? Or how did you come up with that? Did you do research on your own?
1: So honestly, I just started reaching out to my network. um, And I think part of it being in Boston, my network, those that were out of hockey, um, out of sports seemed to have led me to medical sales and tech sales. I pursued both. Um, lots of hockey guys in both industries. Um, I pursued medical sales just as much as I pursued tech sales. Um, And I started doing my own research. Of course, I thought cybersecurity was, you know, talk about timings, everything in life. I I think I got in right when cybersecurity was really starting to pick up uh, mainstream news. Exactly. Um, And I was like, you know what, I, I'm just gonna, I'm going to take a stab at it. You know, I I don't like, couldn't say one sentence about what cybersecurity is or was, but I'm, I'm just going to go all in. Um, I didn't know anyone at Record Future. So I went in, just um, I put a, a blind uh, resume in. I eventually h- ended up hooking up with some hockey guys, but no one that I knew, no one I played with, no one I played against. Um, I just really did uh, the old fashioned way and then was able to meet or make some connections during that process. And they helped me get in, but um I knew no one when I when I applied here.
0: That's unreal. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Well they got a they got a good one with you. They got lucky, man. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and I think once once my name got on the radar, you know, I, I think when I did that first interview process, they were pretty open. She was like, you know, we don't come across too many resumes like this. So despite <laughs> your, you know, lack of experience, your unique experience, we're gonna push you right through and then um a guy named Kevin Morris, who played at uh, Miami of Ohio, played a little bit in the, the East Coast. I think he had a sniff in the American League. He was the guy that was referencing there. But, um, again, I'm quite a few years older than him, so I never played with him, against him. You know, I didn't really know the name, to be honest, but um, I, I connected with him. His dad still is a, a coach. He coached in the NHL, the American League, for a bit. Um, so he was my in. But, um, again, I I just... Blindly applied and was able to to weasel my way in here, I guess. That's legit. Most people have an in or, you know, a brother in law recommending
2: them or somebody telling them their coach tells them. So that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Do you have any, for the listeners out there, do you have any guidance for people going through, you know, not everybody's coming from the NHL, um, into the BDR type role, but do you have any guidance for people or things you would have approached differently in that transition?
1: Honestly, um, you just have to be honest. I think one thing where I was able to gain that respect, uh, even going back to my playing days, if there's something I didn't know, I would just call that out, you know? And, um, again, I, am not naive to the fact that my, my unique resume maybe gave me a free pass on some of that stuff, but, um, you know, Sometimes I think they're, they're more about hiring the person than they are about hiring the expert expertise. So they hired me strictly on that and they trust the program to bring me up to speed as far as the tech and the learning. So I think if you can just lean on like those maybe characteristics and qualities that people can't teach, you know, the, the company should trust their training program that they'll bring that person up to speed. But um, now that I've been on the other side, and I, I'm involved in interview. Uh, uh, processes now um, i don 't care if they know record future or sales i 'm trying to dig into that candidate as a person, like what makes you tick you know, like why are you here like what are we going to get out of you and if I can check off those boxes, then I just trust the program here and that um, you know they 'll bring them up to speed if if, if anyone can say that it 's me um, that you can figure it out despite the lack of knowledge you might have on on a product
0: we we really like um... We preach the idea of like, go in, learn as a BDR, you know, hit your metrics, be a good teammate and just go in and learn. If you do those things, then you have an opportunity where you can move into a closing role fairly quickly. I think you're a great example of like habits, behaviors, and mindsets allowing you to get to that a- AE role within the first months, you did, in the first year. You did it in under a year. What are, what are the things that you think allowed you to do that, Colin?
1: And I, I'm very open about this because I've been asked about that for the fact I was able to get promoted as quickly as I did. Um, but it's the same stuff I did playing. It's first in the office. It's last one to leave the office. Just showing those qualities on a day-to-day basis. So um, I know I wasn't hired ba- or, or promoted based on my metrics, based on my knowledge. I was hired or promoted because they trust me to put in the work and they know that I'll figure it out. And I have the support around me to help me figure it out. But the fact that they can check off that box for me and just know, like I'm not hiding. I'm not a remote employee. I'm in the office every day. Like they just know what they're going to get out of me. And yes, I've had success here. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on that, but I don't want to, I don't want that to be, that to be the focus of the conversation. It's about those intangibles that people look for and trust. So if I don't hit my number this quarter, I know I'm going to be okay. They know that I'm going to be okay because they know I'm putting in the work like i I'm, I'm not hiding. They see me here every day. I think that gives them peace of mind.
2: How do you convey that Colin in an interview? like talk to the listeners about what you know what they could be doing. As athletes coming into sales, trying to show that there's an edge there, right? Like it's easy for us. Again, I,
1: uh, yeah, just, I understand that not everyone's going to have quite the resume that I did coming into this type of position, but the fact that they were any sort of college athlete, there's something that makes them tick to get them to that point. Whatever that is, just translate that to this role and everything else will It might not make sense today. It might not make sense tomorrow, next week, next month. But if you can just hammer on that repetition, um, those practices, just showing up every day, just putting in the work, like it's going to fast track you, um, you know, through the program, where you can start, um, you know, having some success.
0: Now that you're in a in a selling role and and carrying a like a like a quota, what do you think? Like, what's an area of development? that you think some of these kids, like we have a lot of athletes that are now BDRs, they're sitting here listening to this saying, I want to be an AE in 12 months. What's like, in your opinion, like the top skill, the top area of development that you think these folks should be leaning into to differentiate themselves from the other, you know, 20 other BDRs that they're competing for those open AE roles with?
1: It's going to align to what I just said, JR, and and I can simplify it as this, be visible and what i mean by that is if you go to the 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 ae manager does he know who you are if you go to the the cfo does he know who you are does she know who you are if you go to those executives if they if they see your name on a slack channel on an email do they know who you are i don't necessarily care how you go about doing that but make sure these people know who you are because When you're up for promotion, like everyone's going to be able to check off the same metrics that they hit, right? That's why they're a candidate to be promoted. But these, these management people want to know, like, all right, what, what am I hiring here? Like, what makes this person tick? I know I keep hammering home the same message, but I I really can't make that more clear is, you know, get into your background. I I talked about, listen, my, neither of my parents, um, graduated from college. I made sure that I was going to be the first one in my family to graduate from college. Uh, my dad got out of hockey and got into a sales role. I've seen the success that he has in sales. I know that if he can do it, I can do it. And how did he do it? He just outworked everyone. So it's the same stuff that we've done all of our lives. You're just putting it in a different bucket being in, in, in um, a corporate, uh, a corporate seat.
0: 100%. I re- I really hope the guy, the guys and girls listening to this heard that. Cause I could not agree more being visible and 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 focusing on those differentiating, it's really about experiences, right? There's not a lot of people out there that can say they they lost big games, they got cut from teams, they came back from injuries to be successful. And when that's what you have on your resume and in your life experience, those are things that we really, really emphasize our candidates to be
1: honing in on. Well said. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll give you another use case Is You know, we had um, someone from MIT here, you know, she was top of the class. She's like pu- all these, you know, different published reports already. So looking at her, her resume, you think she's an automatic hire. Then you talk to her. And there's just like, there's nothing there. You know, there's no, you know, there's some communication skills lacking. There's no like, you know, like, are you going to go out and hunt new business? Like, are you going to drive home business? Um, and that's what they're looking for here. I'm assuming JR, you can speak to us more than I can, but I'm just, I'm assuming other sales companies are looking for those same types of that hunting mentality. You know, we're, we're not farmers, we're hunters. And, um, you know, so despite that resume, again, I keep going back to it, but like what makes you tick, you know? I, so I would lean on, and, and maybe this is an unfair advantage, but I've got a family to provide for, you know? So, you know, I, you know, Bringing home 50K is not going to cut it for me. You know, it might cut it for a 21, 22-year-old. So um, I'm going to make sure that I'm outworking everyone because I have you know, three reasons at home why I have to bring home money. And that said, you know the point I'm trying to make. If you can't talk about providing for your family, make, you know, tell another story. Tell another story that's going to separate you from the pack. It's all about stories. All about stories.
2: I love it. So one one thing we ask guests calling on the show each each time is, and we ask them to highlight one skill that they've developed over the years that they think makes them elite. So, what's your skill that you think makes you elite? From a sales perspective, from a, yeah, not from hockey. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: say my communication skills. I, I hope you're picking up on that now. I think. Yep. Uh, the approach that I'm personally taking to sales is I'm trying to be a non sales sales guy. So, um, you come across it all the time. There's a lot of, um, I don't know how to say it, but a lot of salespeople that just do business a way that I just, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night doing it that way. So I think, you know, getting me in the mix, I think is a breath of fresh air when I'm talking to prospects and customers. Um, and I just think being able to have that personal connection, because as you know, people buy from people, and if you can have the product to support that, it's going to make your job a heck of a lot easier. So I know I can check off that that personability box, and now it's just about getting back to you know being able to speak to the product. You know how do we separate ourselves from our competitors? So um, yeah, I would just say my my you know I say all the time like, as much as I'm in sales, I'm a human being. I try and lean on that human being part more than I lean on the sales part.
0: Yeah, I I think if you go into conversations really trying to understand what problems people are trying to solve and you do a good job of communicating how you solve that problem, how you solve it uniquely and why it's valuable to them. You don't need to be the pushy, like, hey, it's you know, we got two weeks left. What do I need to do to get you to sign on this dotted line? You know, people wanna help you. They want you to be successful and, and it becomes like a one plus one equals three type of relationship. So that's awesome.
1: Um, yeah, it's like, um, you know, it's trying to detach yourself from the outcome. Like, I don't want my prospects being able to smell my commission breath, right? So <laughs> if they can get into a conversation with me and they know that they're not, they're not sensing that, that commission radar that salespeople have up, it just makes a conversation flow that much easier. Um, but it's hard to do like, Jared, I get it. I'm not naive to that, but if you can really just actually like listen to the prospect and answer their questions instead of the drive, force them down the path that you want them to go, I think it's going to have like a reverse psychology type effect. You know, if you just listen to what they're talking about and if you can disqualify before, you know, qualifying, that's just as uh, meaningful as qualifying something. And, you know, sometimes salespeople get those happy years and um they they qualify something that's just not there and you you you're you're wasting, you know, a whole sales cycle on something that you could've qualified out in week one or week two.
2: I took the words right out of my mouth. I was like, communication is it's wicked hard. Like it's so hard. It to be a good communicator, it's like I find myself sometimes I'm just talking and talking and talking, I'm like, I gotta stop talking. Like I gotta just
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, like one of the things we talk about here, I'm sure every sales company do it, but having like, you know, you want your prospect customer talking around that, like, you know, 60, 70% mark, and and we're on that 30% mark of talking and easier said than done. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, make myself out to be something I'm not. But if you can really just listen and answer the questions and answer the problems, I think, you're going to be better off, but, you know, because you have a quota on your head and you get those end of quarter conversations, it is so hard to try to, 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 not cross that line.
0: We used to say, I used to say to sales reps, you got two ears and one mouth act accordingly, right? Like listen twice as much as you talk. That's, that's how a good sales call goes. I mean, I, 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 am obviously like, I love recorded future. They're an awesome partner of ours and I, and I'm actually blown away Colin, by like just how you talk. P.S. I'm stealing commission breath. I'll give you credit twice, and then it's mine. So thank (laughs) you for that. I wrote it down. It's going to be on my computer. Um, (laughs) So this is is our last question, uh, Colin, and and thank you. So my father uh, was obviously – he's a high school hockey coach forever. Now he coaches the new EJ, the NCDC. And we grew up – he used to always say to us, listen, there's a lot of people that play hockey – but there's not a lot of hockey players. So we kind of grew up like having that professional mentality, like being a pro, um, even at a young age. And me and John always talk about the highest praise that you can give a salesperson is calling them a pro, right? There's a lot of people that sell software. There's not a lot of software sales professionals. So I'd love to hear now that you're in the seat, now that you've been doing this for a while, what does being a pro in this new industry, what does it mean to you?
1: it's going to go back to what I said before. It's like focusing on those, those off ice qualities, you know, um, just putting in the work being visible, just being a normal human being, um, putting your ego aside and just trusting your, your leaders, trusting the product, um, and just doing what's asked of you. If you can do that, everything will work itself out. So, um, you know, if, if they hire, hired you, they've hired you for a reason, but now it's on you to prove them right. So, um, you know, whatever that takes, it might be a little bit different. It's not a cookie cutter philosophy. Everyone's going to have their own way of going about it, but it really is those, those, um, you know, those, those off ice qualities that have been ingrained in us, um, ever since we were kids. A hundred percent.
0: Well said, man. Colin, this was an awesome conversation, buddy. Our, our candidates are going to get so much out of this. I can't thank you enough for spending some
1: time with us. Thank you, Colin. Yeah, I'm happy to, uh, you know, start start giving back. I guess you know, I'm I'm not naive to the uniqueness of my decision to, um, you know, take a stab at this selling air business that we're in. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm happy, happy happy to start giving back. Absolutely,
0: learn, earn, and return, buddy. You're living it. Thank you. You got it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, everyone. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.